Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Tonight, there is zero judgment. Matthew 7, 3 through 5 talks about, hey, why don't you worry about the speck in your own eye? pointing out somebody else's log. It's actually the log in your own eye. Don't draw the line and be like, oh, that person. No, no, no. We got to get it all out, get the junk out of the trunk, pop the hood, and let's just deal with it. And tonight is the beginning for some of you, for the very first time, to come to a safe place, receive prayers a couple, know that it's going to get messy, and we're okay with your mess. We love you. We've been seeing a counselor since we've been married. I look at it like coaching. We are redefining how we disciple at this church. But the greatest thing is we have lots of fruit all around us. But it does not matter if you don't engage. If you don't open your heart, you don't open the conversation, you don't let down the wall, you, don't, you stop pretending and get real with yourself. So I just kind of want to set it up because this will fall on deaf eels. They say some, some seed falls on good soil, some falls on hard soil, some falls on the soil, and then the enemy comes and plucks it up. God's telling us all these different types of soil. Let me just tell you, the seed is always good. You walk down that aisle. Some of you young people, man, take some notes tonight. We want you to date correctly. We're going to go there. But I want to let you know that you're in a place, no matter if it gets good, bad, or ugly, this altar, our pastoral team, Dr. Brian, his resources, our resources, we are here and committed that you have one of the greatest marriages that you could dream of. We wanna redefine a marriage in America to inspire other people to be the light of the world, and it can start right here tonight if you're allowed. it. So, without further ado, turn your palms to heaven. Come on, let's just open our hearts, Heavenly Father. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're doing a new thing tonight, that we can be vulnerable, that we can open up our hearts to just allow you to come in and speak to us where we have blind spots, where we need healing, where we need forgiveness, where we have bitterness that we got to let go. God, that tonight one drop from heaven can change every relationship in the room. Like, God, you bring dead things back to life. You ask Ezekiel, will these dry bones live? We prophesy to every marriage and every relationship in this house tonight. Let there be healing, let them flourish, let them not be a statistic. Let us redefine it to make your name famous. And everybody that agrees, let's say amen. Come on, so without further ado, let's bring up Dr. Brian Ricewig and my beautiful bride, the model herself, Kayla Ray Valentine. All right. I can tell you gave me a look. Like thought I, you were never going to bring us up. Wow, wow. I knew that was coming. I just knew that was coming. I felt like I had to prepare. With the seven minutes we have left and the 42 wow. questions we have to wow. be answered. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was very powerful, but, I mean, we got on a time crunch. People want to go on a hot date, oh, you know. Hey, look. Oh, our oh, wedding photo. How so cute. I've never seen 17 that. 17 oh, and a something half or something. And then lonely later. Let me tell you. On the other side. About uh, five days after that picture, 
it was one year of hell. Yes. So yeah, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing picture for a moment of peace and joy. But then it was one, like the first, I would say we got back for our honeymoon and I learned she was very good at throwing shoes. Well, he invited his brother to our honeymoon, which is the first problem. <laughs> and his wife. Bro. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. You, you guys. Seven, you freaking judgmental people. <laughs> Pastor Samuel. My brother's in the military and never got a wedding or a honeymoon, and we paid for it. No. And invited no him with us. And There's no the, judgment, Dr. Matt, but that does seem like low-hanging fruit. That feels low like. Low-hanging fruit. That feels like an easy one. <laughs> and we stayed in the same apartment or whatever. We slept on the couch. It was awesome. Hey, it was the in good Hawaii, news is, though. <laughs> like you said, two days at a. You nice got back resort. from your honeymoon, and it was like five days later, and it was like the year of challenge. Yeah, yeah. you might year have said challenge. it differently. I can't remember how you said we it. Sought help. Um, Thank God for this house and your wisdom. But for most, I think for most marriages, it's not a matter of if we're going to go through a year like that. It's when. Yeah. Are we going to go through it early because we're really honest? Uh, are we going to go through it really early, like maybe even before we get married, because we're honest and healthy? Or are we going to go through it like Sarah and I did, maybe three years into our marriage? Um, because we've been compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing, and just playing like in false peace for three years, and then you can't hold it back anymore. So it's not, that's not a bad thing. It's not a matter of if, it's when. You guys started early. You got it out of the way. Who said we weren't going to make it? Actually, our prayer marriage counselors did say we weren't going to make I, it. I, so. I did not say that. Yeah. No, not you. No, it's just good to hear that as a, as a professional, you just, you know, got married and things weren't perfect. Is that what you're saying? We got married and... We, we actually, one of the worst, I think this is like one of the all-time worst counselor moments ever. We went to a premarital counselor, and I think there was some confusion about his compensation, because we weren't paying him, and we thought that somebody else was paying him, and I think he thought, you know, there was some confusion about it, so I think that's why this happened. But basically, on our second trip, we, we go in, we have this really encouraging meeting, he sends us home with some assessments, we complete these assessments, we go in for a second thing, we're all excited, and I'm guessing that, um, I can't remember his name, Counselor Rick didn't get paid, and he was kind of over Brian and Sarah, so he said, you guys are good, you guys are ready, you guys are gonna have an amazing marriage. And that second session lasted like 10 minutes, and we walked out feeling like we have arrived. We, can, we, should, teach, we should teach the elders in our church how to, have, we obviously, that's like prodigy level. You go into your second session and they send you out because you don't even need counsel. And then like three years Will later, I was cursing there? that man's name. What was that, Dr. Matt? Will we ever get there? We're on our 200 <laughs> session. I, uh, it, took, it took Sarah and I like seven years to get to the place where he said we were on before we got married. So that's not, it's not good. That's not good. It's not a good strategy. It's not good counsel. Yeah, I, I love it. So, you know, we've been married 18 years, going on 18 three kids. We love each other. We give each other our time. But listen, but, and, and some of the things are, uh, you know, we still make it a priority to date. I love what Pastor Leanne said today on a post. You know, if uh, more marriages were into courting, there'd be less marriages in court. Wow. And I was like, yeah. touche. Hello. Um, but it's amazing. You know, my parents married 32 years and here's what happened. They were all about their two boys. And so by the time that we became 18 years old and we went off to college, empty nest syndrome, my parents didn't know each other. And they didn't make it too many years past that because they, they didn't even communicate for you know, 18, 20 years. Um, and it was just sad to see that because I knew they started off in love, they loved Jesus, but 
loving Jesus and going to church and being elders and building the church uh, didn't save them, you know? And so what do we have to do? Can you give us some tips? And don't worry, we're going to talk about young people too and, and single people. But for the married couples, I just want to go like this. Say they're stuck or they're in the season, kids or their kids have left. How do we reignite something that may be dead or struggle bussing where the grass is starting to look greener everywhere else and they forgot they still got to mow it? Um, How do you give us some real tangible things to help us hit the reset and get back to we need to do this? We need to stick to our covenant. Where do we go? Yeah, it's it's a tough question to answer because you're trying to speak to people in all different levels of stuck. You can have like the stuck of we've got small kids and life is crazy and by the time, you know, the husband gets home from work or by the time, like, the day's over, uh, we, we are so emotionally taxed from the context of, like, early career, young kids, all of these things. We're so taxed. We're so empty. We've lost a sense of energized friendship with each other. And you think, man, when you're talking about getting unstuck in that place, it means uh, returning to, we have to remember how to, like, enjoy each other. It, it probably doesn't mean we have some, like, big wounds or big, like, um, fears or big traumas that we have to heal. It probably just means that we have to remember, uh, man, life, this season of life is really tough. It's super demanding to have young kids, right? Any young families? It, it is super demanding. One of the most healing things that ever happened. We, we had young kids when I was in graduate school working on my master's, and I went up to uh, one of my professors, Elaine Hamilton, and I was just stressed because I'm like, I'm in training to be a therapist. And like, Sarah and I were in a wildly new place. We were like really stronger than we've ever been, but we had struggle moments and my kids were hard. And I remember going up to her and just like dumping all this stuff and realizing as I was talking about it, how much anxiety there was attached, anxiety attached to the fact that we were struggling. And Elaine Hamilton just looked back at me and she's like, yeah, kids are like that. And there was something about her saying, oh, there's, there's no getting out of that season without scars. Like, it's just a hard season that, like, 60% of the hopeless weight just fell off my shoulders. Just being like, yeah, kids are tough. Kids suck. Like, it's just, just her saying that is really hard was enough. And, and I feel like we just need to remember what we're doing is super tough. And I like you. I actually really like you as a person. Let's go have fun. Let's laugh together. Let's laugh about the fact this is tough. Now, if we're in a deeper stuck place, maybe we've accrued some wounds. Some stuff has happened and we've gone to really ugly places or somebody has made some big mistakes. That is when we desperately need community. We desperately need to not try and heal by ourselves because a community of two is isolation. Sarah and I, one of, the, one of the things that got Sarah and I into the most dangerous place, in fact, it became a mantra in our life that what we need is uh, food, oxygen, and community because we got into that super dangerous place in our life because we got really isolated. We were attending churches the entire time, but we'd walk in, we'd sit down, and we'd leave. And we were never part of community. No, we, never, we never sat down with anybody and said, um, we're really stuck, we're in a lot of pain, we fight. I made these big mistakes, we don't know what to do. We would go in and just hope that somehow magically the worship would just meet all of our community needs. And then we'd walk out and we'd be like, oh, I feel so much better. I feel connected to you. All the weight is over. And it doesn't work that way, right, Pastor Um, 
So you desperately need to get surrounded by people. You need good counsel. You need people who can say, man, we're here for you. That's hard. We love you. Um, yes, we're angry at Brian too, but he's not a bad guy, right? Like we need people who can come alongside us and empathize and guide us out. Hopefully people who are, are a little bit further down the road who can say we've been there a little bit. I think, man, uh, something I was talking to Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt Tuggle when we were in Salt Lake City a few weeks ago, I was like, man, I've got this like vision in my heart that as we continue to develop the pastoral, um, the pastoral like muscle and the counseling of the church, I think we're going to put therapists out of business because God designed our nervous system and he designed relationship to heal. Healing happens. Therapists don't add in an external agent. Your doctor doesn't even do that. When you go to the doctor and he gives you medicine, the medicine doesn't heal you. The medicine at best kills the infection that's stopping your body from healing itself, right? Appreciate All therapy appreciate. does is therapy or really, really highly specialized people like me who say we really understand how trauma or false belief systems or um, the internal alarm systems of our sympathetic nerves, that we understand how those things block the nervous system's intrinsic wisdom and understanding to heal itself. We help you move those out of the way. God and the Holy Spirit and your nervous system heal. And so the church is the instrument of therapy that God designed for people. Amen. I guess the, the long-winded answer to your question is, if you're really stuck, if you're in a deeper place, if you're in a place where, man, the alarm system, the pain, the anger, the resentment, the, the hopelessness is strong, then the first thing you need to do is not try and do it alone. Turn to each other and say, I love you so much, and I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Can we go talk to somebody? And that might scare the other person right off the bat. And the thing that's going to win them over is not you being correct or right. The thing that's going to win them over is you being humble and being saying, I want to do this because I love you. I'm not under any illusion that you're the bad guy or I'm the bad guy, but we don't know what to do. We don't have the tools. Yeah. So good. You know, and I, just to encourage some of you, we, we've seen it all um, to the point where you, even affairs and, and, and just yeah. horrible things, and we've watched God redeem, restore, and, and put it back in a place where you would think there's no way, only God. And, and so I can encourage you, nothing will shock us at this point. Yeah. You know, and, and to be encouraged by that. And I, I'm so grateful for community. You know, if it wasn't for Pastor Jurgen Leanne and, and great friends, you know, who knows where we would be because there was times, you know, and I was taking all the worldly stuff. We were going to, right, I remember our first year we went to a, you know, a, a marriage getaway kind of thing and, and I came back. And we learned how to do ours and not that way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, much better so and much more awesome. So lame. Uh, but we came back and it was like almost worse for us in communication. And then we started doing some other things. We, we started doing this coffee break marriage agenda. And every time I just want to fight or she'd want to dump the coffee on me. And we'd leave like, why do we even do this? And then Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, we interrupted their date night one night because it was off the rails. And they're like, come meet us. And then they met us and like, dear Lord, you need a glass of wine. And uh, I'm like, no, I don't. I need something bigger. You know, it's like, uh, and, and they talked us off the rails, but talked us through. So thank God for community. One of the worst ones when we had our little baby, we're in the middle of, you know, on a sandbar and it was 115 degrees. And my wife is like, that's it. We got to get my kid back to coolness. And, uh, you know, we got an argument uh, with my brother there, Pastor Samuel and Katie were there. And my wife throat punched me. And I was like, you know, pride goes right out the door. You're like, oh, oh, in front of my brother, 
we're going to go there right now. And Pastor Samuel, you know, we're just trying to get to know them. Wham! I was like... <laughs> I grabbed her finger. I wanted to break it. And I was just like... You guys, he deserved it, okay? Yeah. Let's Anyways, just... No, no, what was amazing, though, you just, you got to fall on your sword at that point. And Pastor Samuel, this is how I knew he was a good friend. He said later, he goes, hey, bro, I think you pushed her too far. <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah, okay. Dr. You, Samuel. Exactly where, you know, and he gave me really good feedback. And then he prayed for me. And I just felt everything lift. I went into her and, you know, even though I didn't want to apologize because she's the one that hurt me, uh, <laughs> you know, I just said, hey, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have said that. And then later she goes, yeah, I shouldn't have throat punched you, but I didn't know I was that good. Um, and I learned a lot. Like, I will never mess with her at that level again because... He now knew his limits. I know my with limits. With me. <laughs> but it helped us. And we were able to go get back and then I would need to find tools. Hey, if my wife is to this point... What are the tools? What are the signs? Because I was missing her signs that she was under duress. I think, yeah. that's, I think it's the right question. What are the signs? What were you going to say, Pastor McKayla? I was just going to say that was a season of small children. So I think ah. that it was Maverick or Merrick. One of them, I think, was like a few months old. Yeah. And then we had, and the other two were very small too. So that season of stress in small kids. But then I know when we, before preparing for this, we talked about emotions a little bit. Yeah. And so, and also we just had a session with Brian this week and it's been amazing because sometimes you'll deal with something and you think that you, you have fully dealt with it and then there's just layers of it. So there's just different seasons and there's different circumstances and there's different times of your life where that thing will come back up and then here you are navigating that again. And I think one of the things, because I obviously reacted in an emotion when I throw a punch to my husband um, and I don't do that, I've never done that again. Um, but like that same pattern can creep back up in other areas of my life. And so we were able to talk about that, which is really good. And I wanted you to share a little bit on honoring your emotions because a lot here at Awaken Church, we're called to be leaders. We're called to live, um, above report, reproach and, and honor our emotions, but don't act on our emotions. But I wanted you to teach on that because it was a revelation to me when you were talking to me about it just in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But I think in our relationships, we bring everything to the relationship, including all our emotions. And then you have two people with sometimes very opposite ways of handling things, trying to work this thing out. And so if you could speak into that, I think it would be really helpful because I know it helped me a lot. Man, that's so good. I, I love how you brought up um, these seasons where we think, oh my gosh, didn't I deal with this? And you say, absolutely, we did. Your nervous system, like I said it before, I'll probably be a little redundant tonight. Your nervous system, A, knows how to heal itself. It knows what to do. And it wants to heal. Your nervous system wants to heal. So what that means is, like, if I go through something hard, I think stuff that Sarah and I have gone through, years ago when we were going through our initial work and just, like, healing together, we discovered things about our families, messy stuff, and we realized, oh, I think it's possible um, when I shut down in anger towards you, and I write that story in my head about you're a hor horrible, evil person, and I don't tell you anything about it. I don't give you any chance to, like, apologize or correct the narrative or anything. That might be me impacted by my family of origin. It's possible. It's possible that that might be something you're not responsible for. And then we go through seasons years later, and some of that a, like a shadow, like a less intense or a, the same edge though, 
the same spirit, the same alarm system creeps up, and you're like, I thought I dealt with this. And what you realize is you're going deeper. And so there would be moments where Sarah and I would be processing something, and she would tell me a story that I've maybe heard half a dozen times. Maybe even stories that I was present for because we dated in high school, um, which is a different, a different journey. Uh, and it would, and this is just a few years ago where I was listening to stories, and I'm like, I am a trauma specialist, and I've literally never... It never occurred to me until this, you know, maybe three, four, five years ago, we're telling about this story, and I'm realizing if a client was sitting in my office and, that, and told me that story, I would categorize that as acute attachment trauma. But because it was normal to me when I met Sarah and we told these stories and her family told these stories and they would laugh, and it's like it was just normalized, your brain categorizes this as not trauma. And so what we, we realize when we go through hard things, and think of it, think of it like... Um, uh, you have a threshold of tolerance. Your nervous system has a threshold of tolerance, right? It can handle a lot of stress. It can handle the volume getting tuned, turned way up. But there's a line that, that is that threshold of tolerance, and when it surpasses that line, all of a sudden your nervous system is so overwhelmed with the stress, it's like, I don't know what to do. I have to figure out a new way to cope. And we, our brain basically does one of two things. I go in my right brain, and I become really intensely identified with my emotion. And the emotion becomes the lens through which I see the world. And if I feel wronged by you, I view you as a perpetrator because the emotional signal is so overwhelming. Or I go into my left brain and my brain says, this signal is too powerful. The way we're gonna cope with it is we're gonna try and turn it off. Now you can't turn off emotion but you can dissociate emotion. And so I either dissociate it, I shut it down, I pretend I'm fine, I distract myself, or I become intensely identified with it. And oftentimes, not always, a person who becomes intensely identified marries a person who dissociates. And so the more intense, the more overwhelming, what's really obnoxious is often the person who becomes very identified, at least in, at least in like our sitcoms, is the woman, right? The woman's the emotional one, and the one who becomes really like, the madder they get, the more calm they get, is usually the man, and that's Sarah. And it's so infuriating when I'm getting worked up and I'm like trying really hard to pretend I'm not getting overwhelmed with an emotion and my voice is going up and I keep grabbing it and pulling it back down and her voice gets quieter as she gets angry and she's like, you sound really mad. I'm like, don't you pretend for one second that I'm the only mad person here. That is not what I came here to tell you about. Um, oh, so you have three... We can effectively have one of three relationships with our emotion when they become overwhelming. We can become intensely identified with them and they kind of take the steering wheel away from us. We can dissociate with them and they actually steer the car just as much, but they come along with the, the illusion that they're not in control because I have to shut down. I can't access joy or optimism or responsiveness in any form if I'm shutting down negative emotion. You can only shut down the whole system. Or... We have, we have a relationship that we would have with, like, uh, an alarm system. And we think, man, if I'm on a submarine or if I'm in a building and the fire alarm goes off, we're going to take it seriously. But one of the first things the fire department's going to do is they're going to go in and they're going to assess whether or not there's a fire. Did somebody leave a piece of toast in the toaster oven and the smoke set it off? Or is there actually a part of the building that's on fire? And honoring your emotions is the language I like to use, right? What I want to learn to do is I want to learn to honor the signal. I want to acknowledge that it's there. I want to be able to say, I feel really frustrated. I feel really angry. I feel really hurt. I feel angry 
and I am angry are two wildly different states. One says, I am anger. One says, the heater's on, the heater got left on, and the house is like 80 degrees, and I'm sweating right now. I'm still safe. I'm still, I'm still in control, but I'm uncomfortable because I can hear that alarm system. It's really intense. I feel really angry. Can we talk about what happened? I'll tell you, one of the, the common things I like to remind people, because I didn't have a reference point when I was little, is that really healthy anger sounds like, I feel angry right now. That's what it sounds like. It, it's not volume. It's not gritted teeth. It's not a slam door. It's not silence. All of those things are anger is overwhelming us to the point where it's actually controlling our nervous system, right? And so what we want to do is being able to honor it means I can honor the fact that there is a reason. There's a reason I'm feeling this emotion. And it's a valid reason. I don't even like that word, honestly. It's, a, it's, a, it's an understandable reason. I can deduce, I can track, I can watch the logic over my life experience, and I can understand why this emotion is happening right now. I, I don't like it because I don't think emotion is valid or invalid. It's not true or false. It's emotion, right? It's a signal. My brain coded, like if I feel scared, my brain coded something as dangerous. It may be the, the way that that person talked to me. It might be the, the fact that that guy's wearing a trench coat over there. I might not know what my brain coded, but my brain coded something as dangerous. So if I ask, is this, is this emotion true or false, valid or invalid, I'm asking the wrong question. What I want to ask is, man, what did my brain just code as dangerous? Why, why do I feel on, on guard? Why do I feel angry right now? And the ability to honor it is the ability to say, I'm feeling this really intensely. Maybe I don't know why. Will you help me? Will you help me figure out what this is? Um, I have become very suspect of any emotional signal that carries with it urgency. Anything that may, I have to do something right now, I have to say something right now, because usually the level of urgency is almost directly proportionate to the degrees that I've drifted away from grounded, responsive truth, right? My need to say something right now usually comes from, I'm so identified with the emotion, I couldn't even tell you why I feel like I have to protect myself. I'm just really angry, I'm just really scared. So being able to say, we, what we talk about, you use that word signs, what we talk about is dashboard lights a lot. So when somebody feels really angry, what we want to say, oh, okay, I'm driving down the road and the check engine light just came on. I feel really angry. Or I feel that tightness in my chest. Or I don't want to talk anymore. I shut down. Or she got really quiet. All of those, if we can, if we can actually receive those things as dashboard lights, and what we want to do is we want to ask, uh, what is that dashboard light trying to tell me? Um, why do I feel angry right now? probably means the first thing I have to do is actually slow the car down. I don't want to push through this emotion, push through the signal, solve the problem. Because when we, when we do that, we become more and more reactive. What we want to do is we want to receive those signals. And it's important to know what they are. Um, I think something that's so powerful about like us revisiting that when we were talking about it is we're not making new discoveries. Really, what we're doing is we're saying, oh, I remember that. It feels different now. It shows up a little bit different now, but it's actually the same signal. And we're able to say, when that signal goes off, instead of going into these old coping strategies, which might be really, like, pokey, what I want to learn to do is I want to learn to let the people that I depend on, like my spouse or uh, the people that I most depend on, I want to let them know I'm feeling and we want to get underneath the signal. So if the signal is anger... If anger is a self-protective emotion, what is it that I feel I have to protect myself from? 
maybe like um, oh, several weeks ago, uh, we, there was a miscommunication. looking at me like, where are you going? Uh, <laughs> there was a miscommunication, and I thought we were going to have dinner together because a couple of nights a week I stay late. And she thought it was a normal, whatever it was, normal Wednesday, and I wasn't going to be present for dinner. So I walked in, and they were already eating dinner. And what I felt in the moment was like really strong frustration. And so I uh, checked in with her. What does that said, look like? Are you serious? <laughs> and she looked up at me like, I don't know what's happening right now. It's nice to see you, sweetie. And so we have this, we have this, um, we have this like rough night where I'm, I'm trying to convince her that she should have known how frustrating this would be for me. And I, I like missing dinner is a big deal. And you should have under, why aren't you more sorry? Why don't you understand that you messed up? And uh, it actually got to, to the point where like we were on the phone and she's like, okay, sweetie, you've actually interrupted me twice. If you interrupt me again, I'm gonna say goodbye. I love you, but we're gonna talk about this tomorrow. And like 38 seconds later, I interrupted her again. She said, okay, okay. I, can, I know this is really tense. I love you. We will talk about this tomorrow, but I'm actually going to get off the phone. And it's, it's really frustrating when you're a therapist, when your spouse is being more healthy than you. <laughs> and so through gritted teeth, I'm like, fine, fine. That sounds good. I'm going to, I want to get off the phone too. And we, and we got off the phone. And I, I had enough space to calm down. I was like, man, where did that signal come from? What it came from is I walk in the door and there's a little part of my heart, even though I believe God's called us to this season and he's called us to all the things, the, the amazing stuff and the taxation that comes with my career, that missing dinner with my girls, there's a little bit of anxiety in there, right? Like there's a little bit of, man, is, am I failing my girls by missing dinner sometimes? And so when I walk in, the thing that really happens deep down is the fear. Oh, am I not important? Am I failing in some way? But if I'm not able to identify what's underneath the signal, then I identify with the signal and I protect myself from Sarah. Anger protects me from. I'm protecting myself from Sarah. What I want is to be protected by Sarah. I want reassurance that I really matter, that it was a mistake, that she's really sorry, right? I wanna, I wanna, I wanna know that I'm not a bad dad, that, that I really matter to her and matter to the family. That's what I'm looking for. But instead I'm protecting myself from her. And you can only do that when you get really familiar with the signal. There's, sorry, there's no way to the other side of the tunnel except through the tunnel. You've got to get triggered. You've got to, in the moment, you've got to slow down. And you've got to ask the question, what's underneath this alarm system? This is good. Hold on. Can I flip it? Yeah. Okay. So that same thing happened. Okay? <laughs> same thing happened. And then you said you're an angry person. Yeah, I did I say that. that. I missed that. But anyways... So I, I go. You're pretending so, like you didn't so, hear me. We're gonna role play this. This is gonna help. So I say I, I like can that. tell. Let's I can this. tell you're you're. I can tell you're angry. So I would be like your wife. I'd be like, uh, I can tell you're upset. If you interrupt me one more time, I'm gonna end the phone call. She interrupts me again and she's angry. And I go, fine, we're done. And I and I hang up. And then she loses her. And the phone's dialing 400 times. What if I he can said tell. Like you're it's an getting angry worse. Person. Say it again. So it's getting worse. So me you telling like her. You didn't hear me again. <laughs> I'm, hey, excuse right me. here. I'm going to Focus. Focus. <laughs> this <I> is... <laughs> no, no. So I hang up, and then that was her fuse. And if I don't answer on the 40-second call, right. my, my door could be locked. Yeah. 
I have to hide my knives. Like, what do I do yeah. on the opposite? Yeah. How come when I'm with you two, it always goes back to me? It's not. You're gonna it's deal not. With this your is such issues. a good moment. Can you? This is such a Dr. good Ryan. moment. It is Dr. my Matt. issue. I could have done better. I could have done better. Let's, let's get to through it. We're going to get breakthrough. of this already this week I in think, a private room. You don't have to do this I in front of... I think you missed it, Michaela, because Dr. Matt actually indicted himself just a second ago. I outed myself. It was my he fault. He said Can you something do it again? about, like, I'm going to hang up the phone, right? And then maybe you interrupted him. And then he said, all right, that's it. We're done. And he hung up the phone. Is that a, is that a safe boundary? Is that me? It's rude. Reassure. No. First of all. That's him. That's, <laughs> that's effectively, that's a kind of like a power play, isn't it? Like, I won't be talked to this way. I'm going to flex my boundary, and I'm shutting you down, which is different than saying, hey, sweetie, I can tell that, like, this is supercharged. That's what I need. So okay. here's the, here's a, Who's so recording this? this? The, the short answer. I need to go re replay this. The short question is, how do say we. Say sweetie. Just say sweetie, and it will change everything. <laughs> Well, I meant to say sweetie. Inside, I said it. In my brain, I said sweetie. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call BS on that one. I don't think you said it as that. Okay, I'm learning. I'm here. I'm coachable. I've, coachable. I've, I've never met a more affectionate and protective and loving husband than Dr. Matt, but I'm going to guess if my sentence started with, all right, I'm done, it probably didn't end with sweetie. That's just, that's a little incongruent. No, no, so, I said it, but I couldn't take it back fast enough. Oh, it yeah, It did yeah, come yeah. out. That I get. I tried that's taking real. that thought captive, but that's it was real. already out in a word. That's real. You hear it, yeah. and you're like, oh, crap. I said that was wrong. Yeah. But she didn't that, hear that. that. That I wouldn't expect her yeah, to. Yeah, so I hung up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, the, like, if we're going to chisel it down and say, what's the core answer to that question is, if I really want to access their vulnerability... I have to show them mine. And so if I'm on the phone and we're getting tense and what I really want to do is hang up the phone because this feels unproductive, it feels like disrespectful, it feels really negative, what does it sound like to actually be really vulnerable in that moment? Because me saying, you don't get to talk to me that way and hang up the phone, it might be entirely appropriate. I'm not saying that if somebody's cussing you out, you should be like, hey, can I, sweetie, sweetie, sweetie. I'm not saying that. For the record, I don't cuss, so that's I, good. I wasn't Just saying, just want to put it out there in case uh, anyone was true. wondering. It's true. It's true. But if this I This is all hypothetical want, anyways. If I want them, I feel like it's, it's the Lord. I can't hear half of what you guys are saying. Um, <laughs> if I want them to show me that really raw, tender, vulnerable part of their heart, which is the part I want access to, I've got to show them mine. Vulnerability is one of those things. It's the first thing I want to see in you, but it's the last thing I want to show you, right? Like, I want your vulnerability to tell me it's safe to come out of my armor, and I'm usually asking you to do something I'm not willing to do in that moment. And so it's a little tough, but to ask the question, like, what does it sound like to be really honest and vulnerable? Man, this is, this is super scary. This is hard for me. I, I, sweetie, I literally don't know what to do. I want to be able to hear what you're saying. I can't hear you. I don't know. In fact, there was a moment where uh, the girls, uh, they have a, a job, a paid job at our our practice, they do our weekly janitorial cleaning. And there was one day where it was like, they were just like off and they had funky moods and they weren't focused and I was getting really frustrated. We got in the car, Sarah picked us up, we all got into the car and I was talking to them 
in, a, in just like a tone, you know what I mean? And uh, as I'm talking to them, trying to, as I'm really talking to Sarah, but I'm talking, I'm correcting them as I talk to Sarah, like, they didn't do this, they didn't do this. They didn't. Sarah, like, reaches across and touches my arm, and she's like, sweetie, um, what you're saying is so important, but it's really hard to hear you right now. And what she's saying is, I can't hear that really important thing in your heart. I can't hear it because you're in this charged state. And it's so frustrating when they're right like that because you kind of want to cry, and then you're like, no, I want to be angry right now. But to answer your question, uh, and it's hard, like, that's why I say there's no way to the other side of the tunnel except through the tunnel. You're going to have hard moments. We want to, the, the, the success or failure is not whether or not we have hard moments. It's are we learning from them? Wow. And do we know how to repair after them? So what that sounds like is, what does it sound like to get really vulnerable? I think some of the most powerful words in the English language. And I actually, I got, I got this move from um, a lawyer who, uh, he would coach his clients when they're on the stand. He would say, okay, you're going to be, you're going to be in the big desk, right? And, and there's going to be a table over, and, and under the, nobody's going to be able to see under the desk. They're not going to be able to see your lap. So what I want you to do, because what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to armor up in the courtroom. But that courtroom, the people in that courtroom, they need to see you, or this case isn't going to work. They need to see your heart. You need to stay vulnerable. So what I want you to do is under the table, I want you to open up your palms, and I want you to face them towards the ceiling, because there's, there's a, a, re, a, re, uh, a relationship between our body's posture, am I right? And our emotional state, it's not an on or off switch, but there's a relationship there. So he would coach them, what I want you to do as you're in there and those questions are hard and you're feeling grilled, keep those hands open because what you're reminding your body is, I am here to stay honest. And so what, what I use in those moments is, what does it sound like to open up my hands and say, man, I don't know what to do. I think those words are actually really powerful. When I turn to Sarah and she's really frustrated, I'm really frustrated and we're really stuck, for me to admit to Sarah I, I literally, it's scary. I, we feel so frustrated. Like, the longer we talk about, the, the more we talk about this, the worse it gets. I just love you so much. I don't know what to do. We're admitting that the problem isn't Sarah or Brian. The problem is this big wall. And we call it out. And it's a way, it's a way of showing them you're vulnerable. Right? It's, so the, it's the earliest signal we can give them to come back. How come, dear Lord, we just burned all our time? Does this help anybody else besides us? I talk a lot about emotions. Us? I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. come on. I, I just want to ask this. I mean, because you're a wealth of gold. It's like a well. We're just dropping it down. How come when we're dating, everything's so perfect? Mm. How come all these little single people are going, oh, it can't be that tough? You know, it's really fun to bond. Bonding is really fun. Bonding activates oxytocin in our nervous system, and dating... By default, especially the way our culture defines it, it's a process of discovery and bonding. So one of the most confusing things about dating is um, you, I could literally pick any two strangers. And if I put you in a situation where you enjoy each other's company, you're going to bond and you're going to walk away with positive emotional associations about that other person. Now, what if we add in sexual attraction to that formula? You, you're, hello. Hello. It's, it's hopeless. So the reason... The, I think, I think, like, our culture's definition of dating, we've mixed two things up. And it's like, it's not really, like, nobody updated the software. It's really not our fault. It's just something that we have to identify as a problem, and we've got to upgrade the software now, is historically, dating was something that was very communal. You didn't date, you didn't go on dates by yourself. 
right? You talk to people in your community, mom and dad. You talk to your church community. You talk to your um, social community. You would talk to them and it's like, are, are, do we make sense? Now, they had different language for it, right? Like, are we a good pair or whatever? But what you're doing is you're asking the question, does, do me and this other person, do we make sense? And there's a really... Um, intentional process that we go through. And then society, maybe over the last, let's say, 80 to like 120 years, went from what we call a communal society where 120 years ago, you didn't marry somebody because you loved them. You married somebody because you know that the family line has to go on. And you, you enter into marriage from this sense of family obligation. And then maybe 60 years ago, that shifted and became more individualistic. And now we got married out of a sense of commitment. But the commitment was individual. It, what, it, what does it mean to be a good man or a good woman? It means to like be a provider. It means to be this, be a. They're good things, but it was individualistic and nobody updated the software. And now, in you know, 2024, that, that cultural message has become even more individualistic. And we're trying to figure out what does dating look like when the cultural mantra is you do you? When the cultural mantra is you just maintain your boundaries. So if, if something doesn't feel good, my boundaries aren't high enough, which is where ghosting comes from, right? Anytime there's like emotional discomfort, emotionally it justifies in my brain. It makes that, oh, my, this isn't, so, I'm, it's not supposed to feel this way. We back away. So if we flip the script and we say, okay, our goal is to infuse the bonding process, we want to confront our demons really early. And there's, there's a couple of things that we want to make sure that we hit when we're dating. We want to, A, we want to make sure that we're going in the same direction. We want to make sure that we're, we're both living and looking towards Christ. The second one, is we want to make sure that we're living in the same community. And it doesn't have to be literally the same community, but we want to say, like, we actually live immersed in healthy Christian community. Other people, other Christ followers get to see our life. Um, if you're dating some guy, ladies, and uh, early in the dating process, he doesn't really want to meet anybody, and then you notice later in the dating process that you don't even hang out with anybody. You're like getting isolated right now. It is time to run. A really great guy is not only going to want to spend time with you, he's going to want to spend time with the people that matter in your life. He's going to want them to see him because he's got nothing to hide. Um, I, I want to do something. I want, how many would love to hear him come speak to young adults? Mm. Um, young adults, singles. We're going to line that up. I know I want people to go out to dinner and we promise them. I know, no, I know. We could go down a rabbit trail on all that. We're going to line that up. But um, I would love for you to pray for two groups of people. One, I would love for you to pray for all marriages just to get healthy and whatever, you know, you feel like you need to pray about. And we're all going to stand to our feet. And then I'd love for you to pray for those people that are single and lost hope. Like maybe their time is gone. If you could just pray for those two groups of people and then uh, for those of you that are married, go hug each other. Yeah. <laughs> no parking in our parking lot. Snuggle. There's cameras. But, you know, go out to dinner, date your wife, go out to coffee, do something. We just, we want there to be, let tonight be the start of something healing. Just let you know, there is no ceiling in your marriage. It could always improve. Yeah. And I would encourage you, I mean, he might have a three-year wait list, but get on it. And now he has resources of other great people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that he has opened up that you're going to get a chance to meet. If you've never done our marriage getaway, sign up for marriage getaway. If, you, if you've never signed up for pastoral care, just do it. We love you. We're laying it out. 
and we want to be a better version of ourselves. Don't get stuck thinking this is the best you got where you're at. Putting God in the middle, one drop from heaven can melt any hardened heart if you allow God to get in there. So go ahead and do your thing. Father, we thank you. We thank you for time that is set apart. And by definition, set apart means consecrated. We thank you for time that is consecrated for us to bring our relationships, to bring our hearts underneath your covering, underneath your wisdom, underneath your love, and to examine them and for, to discover the places where fear is starting to creep and discover places where um, our, we're starting to lose territory, our, our territory and our, um, our freedom, our emotional freedom, our relationship freedom is starting to get encroached. It's like that territory is shrinking because we're getting wounded, we're getting angry, we're getting resentful, Lord. We pray for your love to come in and illuminate, illuminate where there is resentment, illuminate where there is wounds, where there is fear, Lord. I pray that tonight, after these married couples leave, that they would have the courage, that you would give them the grace to turn to each other and say, hey, there are places where, where I show you anger or I show you shutdown or I show you resentment, I show you pain. But the words I don't have to say, I'm really scared because I miss you. I'm really scared because I don't want to lose you. Father, I pray that you would be in those moments, that you would give safety and your love and your comfort and your protection, that they would know it would be a safe thing to say to each other, I don't know what to do because you matter to me so much, Lord. We pray against the lies of the enemy, the lies that say that the resentment I feel in my heart is something that's a byproduct of your behavior. Lord, we curse those lies and we... we invest, we ingest freedom, that we, that you would give us a revelation that our thought patterns, our emotional states are a byproduct of our own coding and nobody has control over them but us. But we pray for freedom in Jesus' name and we pray for new hope, new hope where there is hopelessness, new hope where there is darkness, new hope where there, those places of the relationship, maybe the finances, the children, the relationship, the sex life, anywhere in the relationship where it's like, man, we've, we've been hurt so many times, we've backed away and we don't even want to talk about it. Lord, new hope in Jesus' name. All right, I pray for the, the men and the women here who aren't married. And Lord, I pray for every, every, every stage of that journey, whether they're in a serious relationship, maybe they're dating, whether they're engaged, whether they're single and they're still full of hope or whether they are in a place where, man, they thought something would have happened by now or they've been wounded, they've been hurt in relationships while they were dating, Lord. And we pray that you would touch them wherever they're at and, and that heart that feels burdened, that heart that feels alone. Father, we pray for new revelation and new healing that you would illuminate to them that you would much rather you would much rather have their whole heart as a single person than half their heart in a broken, painful marriage, Lord. And we, we want to be reminded, Father, that you can change that status at any time. Yeah. That you have called them to be in relationship. Their desires are not weakness. Their desires are not trauma. Their, des their desire to be in loving, intimate relationship is not something from the world. That is your imprint. It's your DNA, Lord. And we pray for new hope and new faith that they would be able to take new risks, meet new people, enter into relationships with an optimism and a belief and a wholeness in who they are. And they can see, uh, take new risks, right? Really be known by new people and hold on to their center and hold on to you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. 
or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.